0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Well, Craig, not much time has passed since our last Tribute episode. As most of our longtime listeners know, every time a famous person passes on, we furiously run to IMDb and uh, look up which horror movies they might have happened to have been in or involved with. And uh, last month, Angela Lansbury passed away. The dame... Angela Bridget Lansbury, who was almost 100 years old when she died. An absolute icon of the stage and silver screen and TV screen. I remember her from Murder, She Wrote in the 80s, which was a fantastic series where she played a woman who was a mystery writer and goes out and solves mysteries. That was such a great series. It lasted a really long time, I think from the early 80s until like uh, the mid 90s. She was in lots of movies, kids' movies. She's actually, when when you read the Wikipedia page, it mentions that she's one of the last surviving persons of the golden age of Hollywood. I mean, she was born in 1925, and she got started in the 1940s, I believe. She was in Gaslight. (laughs) National Velvet. I mean, the Manchurian candidate. The list goes on. This woman, I cannot believe that she has stayed acting as long as she has and been as successful as she has, just consistently over the years. And as far as I know, ne'er a controversy or anything, just this sweet woman who... um had this wonderful career. So it's really kind of sad to hear that she's gone now.
1: I agree. I mean, what do you say? I, I think that um, Angela Lansbury is just one of those few celebrities who's kind of universally loved. I mean, I, I can't think of anything that anybody would have to say that would be negative about her. Yeah, You're right. You know, she was born in London to prominent parents. Her mother was an actress. Her father was a politician, upper middle class. British, but she also spent time in Ireland and she was also, uh, she became uh, an American citizen as well and spent a lot of time here. So I I imagine that, like many international performers, she was able to uh, adapt her accent as necessary. Um, And yeah, I mean, she came. Her parents uh, moved to the United States. I believe they started out in New York, but pretty quickly transferred to Los Angeles. And she started auditioning at uh, 16, lying, saying that she was 19 years old, and started working immediately. I think that um, she got nominated for an Academy Award for her first role for uh Best Supporting Actress, and received many, many, many accolades. She was nominated for several Academy Awards, she won some Golden Globe Awards, several Tonys, I think, and and many others, and rightfully so. Uh, she was a, a great actress. Of course, most people, I think, um, our age and younger, remember her as Mrs. Potts in Beauty and the Beast. That was one of her biggest popular roles, and what she's widely remembered for. I, I didn't watch... Murder, She Wrote. I was very much aware of it, but my parents didn't watch it, so I didn't watch it. But I knew her when I was a kid from Bedknobs and Broomsticks. I loved that movie. Oh, yeah. Very much akin to Mary Poppins. Less popular, but just as fun. She also famous for her theater work. She did Gypsy. She originated the role of Mame, I think. Sweeney Todd, uh, she was famous for. Uh, and that her Broadway production of that was actually filmed and is available, you know, if if you want to see that. In fact, I almost wondered if we should have done that.
0: <laughs> because I, <laughs> I thought about it.
1: When she passed away, I thought, oh, man, that's really sad. And of course, you know, like you said, anytime anybody, not necessarily every celebrity, otherwise every episode would have to be a tribute episode, but people who touched us personally in some way um and she certainly did she's been a big part of my childhood and and she's been just one of those people who's been a constant throughout my life you know she she pops up her last film um i think is still in theaters now it's in the knives out sequel so she's always been there and so you know for her to pass is kind of a big deal and uh I thought, you know, it would be nice to pay tribute to her, but I thought surely she never did a horror movie. (laughs)
0: She did. <laughs> right <laughs> now but come she on did. we know better
1: <laughs>
0: i mean there's always uh, that's always the thing surely this person didn't do a horror movie and then it always turns out that this actor had some low point in their career or was doing some favor to somebody or for whatever reason ended up in this off the wall way out of left field horror movie that nobody saw that got bad reviews and we end up doing these these terrible movie reviews basically for a lot of these uh prominent respectable actors right that yeah. we pay tribute to
1: <laughs> i can't imagine why she did this movie but she was first choice and she was asked to do it and she did the the only thing that i know is that she was a huge fan of cinema and television and she had diverse tastes yeah so maybe you know she was just Maybe she's just one of those people who is kind of up for anything. Oh yeah, um, and it is—it's a—it's a fitting role for her, but it's a weird movie.
0: <laughs> oh, it is. Uh, you know, the the movie we're talking about is called "The Company of Wolves" from 1984. It, it is listed as a British Gothic fantasy horror film, and. I saw this... Uh, didn't you? I, I, I used to see this in the horror section all the time. Because oh, yeah. The,
1: the, the box art is incredibly familiar.
0: Oh, it, it's extremely captivating. It's this uh, girl and then there's this... It's it's like the woods, but there's... Uh, right in the front, right in your face is this man who's in the midst of transforming into a werewolf. And the way it's happening is like basically his mouth is wide open and the, the wolf's maw is coming out of its mouth. Like this wolf right. is literally bursting out of this guy's skin. It's really compelling. I don't know why... I never picked it up, to be honest, because I was super interested in it. So when I saw that she was in this movie, number one, I was like, really? <laughs> and number two, I was, oh my gosh, she she's listed number one on the credits uh, as a supposed title role here. And, uh, this is a movie I've been wanting to see for so long. So I know we could have done Sweeney Todd and she's got a more prominent role in Sweeney Todd, but it's like a stage musical. It's like a recording of a stage musical. So I thought, ah, you know, this would be better. So yeah, I was a little selfish (laughs) when I proposed to Craig and Craig never turns down anything I propose. He might regret it later, but he never turns (laughs) down anything I propose. (laughs) So bless you for letting us do The Company of Wolves. This movie was not at all what i had expected uh, not in the slightest and i will i say that in a good way Gosh, I've been, I've been, uh, well, this is the kind of movie that I watch, and I'm really, really glad that um, you're an English teacher Mm. and you spend your day going through textual criticism and uh, unpacking layers of meaning and symbolism in texts with kids because uh, I feel like your skills are going to come in handy with this one. (laughs) Because this movie, it's heady. Yeah. It's way headier than I thought it would be. It's much more literary than I thought it would be. It's based on a short story from a woman, a novelist named. Named Angela Carter, who was a well-acclaimed uh, feminist writer who wrote a book that's basically a compilation. It's called The Bloody Chamber, but it seems like it's a compilation of more or less werewolf stories. Yeah, It more or less unpacks the story of Little Red Riding Hood. You know, honestly, when you you listen to fairy tales as a kid, you never think of subtext, right? (laughs) You never think, where did this come from? What is this really saying? Is there anything more to this than just a cute story or some little morality tale? Hey, little girl, be careful when you walk through the woods kind of thing. But there is, and there always has been, deep layers of subtext in this and, and most fairy tales and old folk legends that pass by over time and get interpreted and reinterpreted. But at the core, when you think about Little Red Riding Hood, it's about danger of of men to girls. Men can be right. wolves, and this girl is walking through the woods, i.e. Uh, she's going through life. <laughs> she has a red hood, which can symbolize her blood, menstrual cycle, uh, things like that. She might be coming to adolescence, and here you are when you're an adolescent suddenly becoming attractive to men, and men start approaching you. And not all of them have the best of intentions right So this is a, a story that really dives deep into that but it's not straightforward at all It's not straightforward in its narrative structure it's not even straightforward in its story but uh, I was glued to the screen but also I was just scratching my head through a lot of it thinking oh God we're gonna have to we're gonna have to analyze this
1: <laughs> I guess I don't know I I did not know what to make of it, it it's it's bizarre you know, First of all, Little Red Riding Hood on the surface is very clearly about stranger danger. You know, yeah, te- teaching kids, don't talk to strangers. Okay, very simple. But as you suggested, it's not difficult to scratch just below that and find sexuality at play. Um, and this movie explores that a lot. It really leans heavy into that element of it. So the movie starts out In real life, like Mm, it's weird. Yeah, it still feels period, but um, I'm not sure exactly what period it's meant to be.
0: It really runs that line, doesn't it? I mean, from Uh the first few scenes, which there are no people in. It's the woods that comes uh, comes onto this old looking like well in the woods. There's a. a a dog that pops in and and sniffs around the well, and you can see that there's a doll that's very old-looking doll that's been maybe stuck for centuries in the the brush there by it, and he runs out. And I'm immediately, I don't know why, but I'm immediately thinking this is a period piece. Right. Just the tone and look of it, and when the dog runs out of the woods to a street and a sedan comes driving down the road, I was really jarred. Uh My mind couldn't adjust, because even when the sedan pulls into the house it's going to it's this countryside mansion this little british Uh countryside mansion and manor and this girl comes running out in these flowy white lacy kind of dress right it's there's so many little things about the house and what they're wearing and the setting that bounce you back and forth and it's hard to resolve in my head and I, i have to believe that was intentional
1: Yeah, I imagine so, and and this girl greets her, it's her parents arriving in a car, I don't know where they've been on holiday or something, and they ask about, they're like, where is she, and I didn't know who, I thought they were probably talking about the grandmother because I knew there was going to be a grandmother, (laughs) right? but they weren't, I guess the girl that we've seen thus far is the older sister, Alice, and she goes upstairs and is kind of snotty and tormenting her younger sister, Rosaline who is asleep in her bed mm. it seems like she's disturbed in her sleep and and that's this frame story is that she's dreaming and she dreams the very first thing that she dreams is that her sister is dead they're at her sister's funeral well i guess we see her sister running through the forest that's the yeah. first thing we see well, and it's 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 not just any forest most of this almost all of it is set in these woods and in this village in the woods. And and apparently it's right outside of Rosaline's window. Like she can see the area where it is outside of her window. The, The
0: camera kind of pans out the window. It pans across her room and shows all of her toys first. And then it pans out the window, yeah.
1: And then when the sister is being chased through these woods, they're clearly fantasy woods. There's like large oversized Toadstools and the toys from Rosaline's room are there, but they're like life size, person size. Mm-hmm. Um, and they move and, and like walk around and chase, uh, Alice. Um, and eventually Alice is pursued by a whole pack of wolves. There's tons of wolves in this movie. Actually, that's not really true. There are only two wolves in this movie. The rest uh, are dogs.
0: Painted to look like wolves. (laughs) Painted to look like wolves. But we don't know.
1: Uh, Well, I mean, it's close enough. It's close enough. (laughs) Right. I, I guess, I mean, you don't see it. You just see the wolves surround her and she screams. But then the next thing is at her outdoor countryside funeral. And she's just in a pine box that they nail shut. And all of a sudden... We're in this fantasy fairy tale world where we spend most of the time, but it keeps cutting back to Rosaline asleep Mm -hmm. and like crying or moaning or thrashing in her sleep while all these events are going on. Yeah. Now I read that they filmed all of the main story and then they decided that they wanted to do this frame thing that was in real life. And I don't really get why. I don't get it.
0: Here's what I think. I, I think it's kind of a um, a way to show that this is a timeless tale that it's it's as relevant to modern day, at least the themes and things, as it is to the past. And so, even though it's a dream that this this girl is having, and also there's a little bit of ambiguity, right, because she's dreaming, but we it has already been established that these places actually exist. Uh huh. And and she plays the little red riding. She plays herself in her own dream,
1: And, right, and in, her parents are her her parents.
0: Yeah, her parents are there, and you know they're just now in this village, just outside of the house where she's in. And later in the dream world, there's there's stories within stories. By the way, right. in this in this narrative, and one of the stories uh, surrounds an upper crust British party, and that's taking place in the lawn outside of the home where she's in right now. Yeah. So there's this strong sense of history. There's a strong sense of heredi- hereditary progression, ancestry, this kind of thing. But it's so confusing, right? Because you're you're waiting for an explanation for all of this. Like, you know, is she a descendant of these people? Right. Is, was, was there some time warp? Or what's going on? And you never get it. You never get it. It's, it's very thematic. The director, um, Neil Jordan, has done, uh, well, he won an Academy Award for writing, I think for writing, but he also directed The Crying Game. Uh, That was a huge movie in 92. He's done a lot of well-regarded movies, I should say. They're not all big.
1: Interview with the Vampire was the biggest one I was familiar with.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's a pretty good director. And I have to say, I I was impressed by the directing, and the the set design, R- really a lot of the production of this movie I was really impressed with. Now, he co- collaborated, by the way, with Angela Carter on this.
1: Yeah, and they had a really good relationship, I guess. The, that's the thing. The source material, like you said, was just a collection of short stories, but then that collection of short stories was adapted into a radio production, and I think that it was in that radio production that they kind of structured it so that it was stories within stories, so that mm-hmm. there was a, one big, larger narrative um, but then within that larger narrative, some of the smaller stories are told. And that makes sense. And that's really what they based the film on was the radio production more so than just the original book.
0: Yeah. That's true, but I think Jordan also uh, was, was inspired by a movie called The Sargosa Manuscript, which is a Polish film from 1965 that did this also, that had story within story, kind of what he called like a, a Chinese puzzle box of structure. Yeah. Uh, not only did he cite that as a inspiration, but also Roger Corman. Right. Roger Corman's um, uh, Edgar Allan Poe series as inspiration for this film as well, so I thought that was... Kind of interesting. I wouldn't have seen that, but now that he mentions it, I, I do see it. Yeah, because those were all period pieces too.
1: And then at the end, it's like the worlds collide. Yeah, the, like the fantasy world and her real world collide. But it's really it's kind it's a little bit anticlimactic. I mean, it looks good what they do at the end. It looks good, but ultimately, I just felt like the frame narrative was unnecessary. It, mm. I I don't know. Anyway, it's fine. I just didn't think that it was necessary because the rest of it feels like a reimagining of a classic fairy tale, just a little bit darker and for a little bit more of a mature audience. Yeah, But it it does feel very much like a fairy tale because it it doesn't feel like the real world. Oh, at all. It's filmed on sets, which are very clearly sets. The costumes are very clearly costumes.
0: Now, wait a minute, though. When you say they're very clearly sets, you're not you're not saying that the sets look bad, right? No. Like, they n- no. look fake. They just look so unreal, there's no way these could be anything but sets, is what you're right.
1: saying. Right. And it and it almost looks like not almost, it very much looks like a stage production. Really? I think so. With set pieces, I mean the set pieces to me look like stage set pieces. Mm. The, they do I mean, it's good. It, it. I think that that's what they're going for. I don't think they're going for a, a realistic look. No, I think that They are going not. for a fantasy. Yeah, and and it looks like that. And, and I'm I, I'm not saying it in a bad way. I'm. It's not. I'm not offering this as a criticism right? it's just this is a fantasy world this does yeah. not look like the real world it looks like a forest and a fairy tale it is dark it is scary there's all kinds of at one point, I'm like, what is with all these f***ing frogs? Like, I don't <laughs> understand. There yeah. are so many frogs. What? I don't get it.
0: I'll tell you a bit. See, I've been thinking a lot about this movie. I don't have the definitive answer about the frogs, but I have an idea about the frogs. Because frogs are they're another sort of fairy tale thing. Like, a lot of animals are, right? The, the spider and the fly and the lion and the mouse and whatever. But, like, frogs are the thing you kiss for your prince. Right. They're sometimes seen as men in disguise, you know, and all the girl has to do is kiss it. And this ugly, ugly frog turns into a beautiful prince. It's sort of the opposite of the wolf. This this um, seductive, you know, man who's really, really nice. Uh, Once you interact with him, suddenly turns out to be this horrible monster, you know, that that wants to kill you. And I thought that the frogs seem to really reference a lot of grandma, like grandma had frogs little frog statues and things in her house. And I might be reading too much into it, but I thought that perhaps that was a little nod to, or perhaps like the men she's had in her life or that, you know, her husband long passed or something like that. I I don't know. That sounds, that's what I thought anyway.
1: Well, I mean, I don't think, I don't think you're wrong to read something into it. You know, I always tell my students when we're studying literature, I say if a writer keeps bringing something up over and over again, if an image keeps getting presented to you over and over again, there's a reason for it. Mm. They don't just do this for no reason. Right. And so I have to kind of think the same thing here. There's 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 got to be something. I don't know if I get it, but for the number of times we see frogs, which is a lot <laughs> there's yes. gotta be something to it um and i of course i thought that too you know like the the prince in disguise or whatever um there's also a, a giant snake a python or something that uh it gets lots of screen time just hanging out in the forest yeah and usually people just walk right by it and don't even notice that they're like within inches of it you know inches from their face and you know of course then there's all kinds of connotations with snakes with the, the story of adam and eve and the serpent and then snakes also have kind of a a sexual you know phallic kind of <laughs> connotation thing too and and the movie much of it is about sexuality so i don't know but it's yeah. it's it's strange it's interesting. It is interesting to present a well-known fairy tale, which, by the way, it takes a while to get to. Yeah. It's set up from the beginning. You know that you're dealing with Little Red Riding Hood and her grandmother and the grandmother lives out in the forest and you have to stay on the path to get to grandmother's house. And that's, you know, repeated over and over again, how important it is and how dangerous it is to stray from the path. And so you know that's what you're dealing with, but it takes a long time to get there to get to the actual story that we are familiar with of Re- Little Red Riding Hood, you get there, but not until the very end of the movie. And the the rest of it is kind of several other stories about werewolves just in the context of Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah, As though, you know, like... <laughs> <laughs> the, the story that we know of Little Red Riding Hood is just one story of this community that was plagued by werewolves <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Basically, yes. these poor people
0: <laughs> well they do live in the woods I suppose <laughs> in the ancient woods at that uh, you know before we move on uh, to, from talking about the production design I just want to say just to be clear and I think you're saying it too the production design is gorgeous yeah it is Absolutely unreal it I was blown away because I'm just so used especially these movies that I saw on the horror shelves right as a kid and never got to and then I get to them and they're usually pretty disappointing or at least they're usually pretty cheap I was shocked at how gorgeous the sets were in this movie Uh, they fully had me in this world they were unreal they were beautiful And the production designer got a lot of attention for his work in this. His name is Anton First. He's no longer with us, but... He uh, did—actually, he did special effects for Alien before this. Oh. Um, And then he ended up uh, doing a couple more movies. This movie got him attention from Stanley Kubrick, who hired him on to do Full Metal Jacket. And later, he went on to do production design for Tim Burton's original Batman. He was the production designer for that. And that has a crazy style, right? Yeah, it's amazing. This guy is super talented. And to hear him talk, he said— we had such a low budget for this movie that we had to make 12 trees <laughs> look like a forest. And
1: and they did. That's hard to believe. It's because phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It seems like this forest is massive and it would be so easy to become lost uh, in it. To find out that it was only 12 trees is is insane.
0: It's really insane. It's otherworldly. This forest. It has vines, and it's it's your perfect fairy tale forest. And like you said, the village that they're in is this perfect fairy tale village from all the illustrations in your fairy tale books. It's it's small, right? And I think that's what makes it look a little stagey. It's like six buildings around a little well in the middle of the woods, and that's it. Which is kind of suitable because then you can believe that in the future, you know all this went away but that well is still there and it's right down the street from where this house is it, it's really great i just wanted to i just wanted to call attention to this guy and the great job he did on the production design because it really helped with the story
1: oh i agree i mean it sets the tone perfectly it's it's dark and and creepy i like it a lot so alice is apparently killed by this pack of wolves and then there's a the funeral and rosaline goes home with her grandmother because her mother is mourning and in no condition to look after her or whatever um, so she walks through the woods with Granny don't stray from the path girl
0: did you not hear what I told you once you stray from the path you're lost entirely the wild beasts know no mercy they wait for us in the wood in the shadow and once you put a foot wrong they pounce
1: there they now Don't take on so.
0: It's something you have to learn, otherwise you'll end up like your poor dear sister.
1: Angela Lansbury, she was handpicked for this role because uh, the director was impressed with her performance in The Manchurian Candidate. Um, He said that she had kind of this... Sly, cunning charm—that yes. made her perfect for this. And and I agree, she's she's not sweet little Mrs. Potts no. in this movie. She she's got an edge to she her. She
0: almost feels a little sinister at times, doesn't she? Uh huh. Yeah, it uh-huh. was really really great. She's good. Yeah. She's
1: she's very good. A wolf may be more than he seems.
0: He may come in many disguises. What's that? The wolf that ate your sister was hairy on the outside. But when she died, she went straight to heaven. The worst kind of wolves are hairy on the inside.
1: And when they bite you, they drag you with them to hell. (laughs) (laughs) Don't trust men. (laughs) (laughs) And she gives her this advice. She's like, you're you're young. You've got things to learn. This girl, Rosaline, is supposed to be... Almost 13. She's not even 13. She's only 12. She looks older. She does. If I hadn't known from reading about it that she was meant to be just shy of 13, I would have guessed 16, 17, maybe.
0: She's 12. The actress is 12. It's crazy.
1: The actress is 12. And there's no mention of her age in the movie, but there is a trailer. In which there's a scene where she says how, I I think it's this scene when the, when the grandmother says, you're young, you have a lot to learn. She says something like, well, I'm 12 and three quarters or something like that. I don't know. But, uh, she says, you got a lot to learn. Um, there are three lessons. Never stray from the path. Never eat a windfall apple and never trust a man whose eyebrows meet. And I love that a unibrow is the like, Definitive characteristic of werewolves. <laughs> and every werewolf in this movie has a unibrow. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> you know,
0: <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> I guess it's it's kind of rare enough that you might as well make it a thing. I also like that because, uh, you know, it's always cool when a movie does some foreshadowing and uh, lets you in on how you can spot the quote unquote, bad guys. Right. So that whenever somebody comes on the scene with the unibrow, it instantly ups the tension. You're like, oh, this guy's scary. That's when she she's knitting her her red shawl and she starts her first story. She tells her a story about a wolf. It's presented as a flashback. It's this woman's wedding night and she has married a traveling man. So obviously someone from outside of the town. They've just finished their wedding celebration. He brings her home He's uh, very taken by her. He's kind of looking her very lasciviously. I don't want to say lovingly because it doesn't really feel that way. He's eyeing his own wife here. She's so taken aback by it that she says, don't they have girls where you come from? And he says, not like you. And there's a porcupine there that's kind of running around. And he tosses that porcupine. It's a hedgehog. It wasn't a porcupine. Was it a hedgehog? I don't know. I don't have whatever. Porcupine, (laughs) hedgehog. They both both hurt when you pick them up. (laughs) Anyway, uh, he, he runs to the door and tosses it out. And as soon as he tosses it out, you start to hear these wolf howls. And you see that it's a full moon. He turns back to look at her and says, I need to go out for a moment a call of nature which was a funny double entendre but when he looks back at her you can see that his eyes have changed they're yellowish I thought it was really effective it's really really creepy but Mm -hmm. just natural and I mean it's not natural but just it's not like you know he started sprouting fangs or anything right Right. so that he's still human and can can act human It's, it's really creepy so she gets in bed she's extremely happy she's waiting for him and he's gone uh, and when she wakes up, there are just lots of wolves outside howling. And her thought is, oh, my God, it can't be. She thinks he's been carried off by wolves while he was peeing. And so she calls the townspeople in. And I can't, by the way, I can't get over how many animals there are in the background scenery.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. There are a yeah,
0: There are goose and, like you said, frogs and things in almost every scene outdoors, just like wandering around in the front. Lots or the back. of
1: birds. Yeah. Chickens, turkeys, all kinds of things.
0: And anyway, you know, people are saying to her, "Well, she, he's gone. Did they find something? I can't remember. I don't remember what, what, what happened.
1: No, I mean, she, fa- she found like wolf paw prints. Yeah, but that's it. No, no yeah. trace of him." Um, but he never came back it was funny to me that he went out to Pete fully nude yeah. like, <laughs> they were they were in town <laughs> hey,
0: it was a different time craig <laughs> i
1: guess uh, yeah but he, he never comes back and years go by but and grandma says but she was young and and had a a charming personality so she remarried and and she had kids
0: she found another husband who wasn't too shy to piss in a pot <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> that was funny. And just to hear Angela Lansbury say it, I have a feeling, you know, we look at Angela Lansbury, she's this older woman, she's very distinguished. I have a feeling that she was probably a, a fun old dame. Mm. You know, like she hang, hung out with. Gay dudes, I I, I have a feeling this lady had a good sense of humor and and knew how to have a good
0: time. Oh, yeah. But
1: it's just, it's fun to see her in something like this where she has the opportunity to be a little bit more gruff and a little bit crass at times, too. It's, it's, it is
0: cool. Yeah. When you, especially when all you've been seeing is mostly of her on the TV screen playing this cute lady in a very PG (laughs) TV show. Right it's funny because not only does she have babies she just seems angry and miserable like yeah. so anyway yeah she's home and she's angry and she's miserable she's got these kids and it's like she's got one kid in her arm and then you hear her crying and she's like what the hell do you want turns around and then
1: (laughs) there's another baby there (laughs) she
0: grabs that baby she walks over to the table you realize there's a third baby I thought like this was just gonna be a running gag where this woman has like 12 kids and we're just gonna see a new one (laughs) introduced every time the scene changes but yeah it's very clear that she's a, a stay at home mom and she's not happy about it. Far from the romantic image that we had from her years before. Uh, There's a knock at the door and she opens it and it's her ex-husband after all these years. And he's quite shaggy. He comes in, he's angry, starts calling her a whore. Where did these kids come from? Who are you with? And then we get our first really major horror element. He starts peeling the skin off his face. It's very gory, very awesome version, I think, of a werewolf transformation. For practical effects, I think it's pretty good. And it's unique. It's not as good as, like, Rick Baker's transformation in, you know, American Werewolf American in Werewolf. London. But it's a different style of transformation. It's like the wolf is, like, literally inside of him and is breaking itself out. He peels off his skin, off his face with his hand down to down to muscle layer. Uh-huh. And then you see the snout kind of shoot out from there. Uh, and you see the rest of his body, like his back, just almost just steps out of his skin, really.
1: Yeah, he's all just tendon and muscle and raw. It's so and it's, gross. It's gross. Uh,
0: but it's great.
1: <laughs> yeah, it looks it looks really good. It's it's a little strange because I was gonna say that it's not consistent with the transformations of the rest of the time. I I guess it is really. Yeah. I, I think that the wolf kind of pops out of the human body rather than the human body transforming into. Yeah. Uh, but but this is the only time that we see anybody, like, ripping their flesh off. Yeah. Later, we'll see, like, their flesh split, like at the spine, or we'll see the wolf's snout come out through the human mouth. But this is by far the most gory and graphic transformation.
0: And, you know, I think it serves the themes of the story very well, because Granny is constantly telling her you need to be careful of wolves, i.e. men, because they're... It's like they're putting on a mask for you. They're gonna be all sweet and nice to you until they have you. And then... You're going to see their true nature, you know, their hairiness on the inside. And so it's not like this is a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde situation where this person is half good, half bad. I think what she's trying to say is these people are just putting on airs. They're wearing the skin of nice, of of, of humans, but they're actually wolves in disguise.
1: Well, right. But Granny is basically saying, because the girl asks, she's like, all men and... Granny's like wild, wild animals, all of them. Like yeah, yeah, all men. She's bitter, all men. They'll they'll be nice to you until they get what they want, and then you'll see their true side. And and yeah. she even asks like, <laughs> first of all, she kind of watches her parents have sex, which was weird.
0: But also common for the time <laughs>
1: I guess, but ew And I say that, but it's not graphic I mean, no. it, it seems like, you know It's not, some grunting Yeah, I mean, it, they even They they have their clothes, their night clothes on It's, it's, it's more suggested than anything else um, But it is certainly suggested Because the next day, she asks her mom Mommy Yes, pets Does he hurt you? Does who hurt me? Does Daddy hurt you when... No, not at all. Sounds like... Like what? Like the beast Granny talked about. It's weird. I don't know... I don't know if we're reading too much into it. Like, is it supposed to be commentary on the relationship between men and women, the nature of men? I I just can't tell if I'm supposed to take it that seriously or if it's just a stupid.
0: Well, actually, I think it's a I think it's probably more of an exploration of what goes through an adolescent girl's head when she's learning about all these things for the first time. I think it's very clear, like she's sewing this red shawl for her, she's coming into her menstrual period, you know, I, I think that's what we're all talking about here Grandma's starting to tell her the truth about the real world, we all know like into the woods, uh, the woods is a sort of metaphor at times for going through the difficulties of life or going through the strong, the hard changes of life yeah. and all the dangers that beset you and so this is another part of it, it's like sex, like learning about sex like when you first learn about sex, sometimes it's like a horrifying weird thing and perhaps even more for women because in a male-female sex relationship yeah they're submissive and so when she sees her dad grunting and you know on top of her mom and her mom with her eyes closed and whatever you know it, it she's not sure what to make of it and when you couple that with what grandma said to her it's natural for her to even think that the sex act itself might be this you know you know it, it's just it's it's creepy for her and i can relate to that yeah. i when i first learned about sex you know i was super confused about it and i wasn't sure what to make of it either and it did seem a little sinister to me too because well i grew up in the 80s and i remember every Everybody was talking about AIDS, and I just th- I just heard that you have oh sex, it gives you AIDS, and so and you'll die. Yeah, yes. and so I thought sex leads to AIDS. That that's how I first heard and thought about sex. So I needed a lot of correction there. I thought it was a bad thing. Yeah, so I think that's kind of what they were exploring here. Um,
1: I'm sure you're right. I'm sure you're right. The whole in Little Red Riding Hood, and even Little Red Riding Hood in into the woods it's very much about sex and and that kind of th- in the original Broadway production of into the woods the wolf has a prominent penis <laughs> like like he, he he doesn't wear pants and he has a prominent penis oh, wow. uh, right there on display and it's easy to see that you know in the original story as well I don't know. It, it 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 felt a little bit heavy handed here and yeah. I think I was maybe getting a little bit of male fragility, like, hey <laughs>
0: we're not all <laughs> <laughs> not that bad. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're not uh, yeah
1: but that's that's probably just my insecurities i should (laughs) well it is heavy-handed
0: no there's no question i mean uh, you watch this movie and nothing else and you just get the sense that all men are dangerous really
1: (laughs) well not not necessarily all men because the dad is good true we didn't finish out that that the other story so eventually this woman her original husband comes back out of nowhere his he's got all this long hair and and he's angry and, and basically calls her a whore for having children that aren't his and that's when he transforms and it looks like he's going to attack her but her husband comes back and chops his head off Mm -hmm. yeah chops his head off and it flies into like the wash bucket or something but when it floats back up uh it's Oh, and
0: it's such a cool effect. Mm -hmm. It's slow motion. It It happens so seamlessly. It's so... This whole movie is so stylized, and that was a great shot.
1: Yeah, and then we cut back to, you know, just Rosalind's day-to-day life. She goes back home, and I was saying, you know, not all the men in this movie are bad. Her dad is a good guy. Her dad is played by David... uh, the waxwork guy,
0: Werner David Werner,
1: who was really aside from Angela Lansbury, I think the only person that I recognize from this movie, except for the guy who plays the devil, Terrence Stamp. Oh, yeah. he he makes just a cameo appearance, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, that's General Zod. Yeah. I look. He's uncredited in the movie. It's
0: crazy. He's in everything.
1: <laughs> but I looked it up. Yeah. He's cool. Anyway, so so the the dad's nice. There's this boy. He's. Hardly anybody in this movie has names, yeah. um, except for Rosaline and her sister. But there's this boy who's billed as Amorous Boy, who is seemingly about her age, maybe a little bit older, but he's obviously attempting to woo her. I thought maybe you'd take a walk with me in the woods on Sunday after the service. Just a little walk, Rosaline. Why should I? I thought maybe you'd want to have to ask. But Tell your mother I'll be with you. And we won't stray from the path. Um, and initially their first encounter is very childish. And then as the movie goes on a little bit, it becomes a little bit more mature and flirtatious. And, um, he's clearly interested in her. Eventually she becomes interested in him and he seems like a nice boy. Like it seems like the story is setting you up. Oh, this will eventually be the boy that she'll marry and blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, which would be fine. Cause he seems cute and nice, whatever. That's not the way that the story goes, but yeah,
0: No, it's
1: not. But he invites her for a walk in the woods after church. And she's like, I don't know, I'll have to ask my parents. And then we just get Granny's second story. (laughs) It's not as clunky as I'm making it sound. It works. It's stories within a story, within a story. And I just don't think that it needs that last outer layer. Mm. I I would kind of have just preferred to live in this world and not have the outer world of the reality. But I, I guess I get what he was going for. It just didn't necessarily work for me. It's fine. I'm it's not a huge complaint. But anyway, yeah. Grandma's second story. Well,
0: Grandma's second story is basically they say the priest's bastards often turn into wolves, which which I think is cute. I, I don't know if, if this was a different time or what, but, you know, priests famously can't marry, but they're, you know, they might be having amorous relationships anyway. I, I just think this is mm-hmm. funny. So anyway, he says uh, the priest's bastards often turn into woods if they're born like feet first. And of course, their eyebrows meet. And then one day they'll meet the devil in the wood. And this boy, again, we're back in this period of time, even earlier than Granny and this boy's wandering through the woods, and this Rolls-Royce pulls up. <laughs> yeah. It, it's so cool. And there's a guy in the back, and and he's the devil. Well,
1: and the, the chauffeur is Rosaline in a blonde wig. Oh,
0: you're right. I, I wondered about that. I wondered if I was just seeing things.
1: No, it was for sure. Okay. <laughs> All right, fair enough.
0: That's weird. I don't know what to make of that either. So anyway, there's a man in the back, uh, and he's holding an infant skull, which I read in the trivia that was an actual pygmy skull that they acquired for the movie which is creepy and he's got a little potion and he gives it to the boy and says use it wisely waste not want not and The boy seems to know what to do, like he's made this deal with the devil or something, uh, and he rubs it on his chest, and he starts growing hair on his chest, and in true evil dead fashion, the vines of the forest start to crawl up his legs, and uh, I guess that's the forest claiming him as a creature.
1: I don't know. I didn't know what to make of it, because he screams as if in agony, and his face is all contorted, but that's the end of the story. Then it cuts to real-life present-day Rosaline writhing around in her bed, and the image of that boy with his face all contorted is in her mirror. I, I, I really didn't know what to make of that story. I didn't
0: know if it was an adolescence thing. Like the boy comes to adolescence and, you know, goes through all these changes, which can be horrifying and do involve, you know, growing hair and whatnot. And then, you know, there's a temptation element in it where then, they're sort of like smitten by the devil with this lust, if you will, for women, which they can use wisely or use in bad ways. I don't know. That's that's my feminist interpretation of it. <laughs> Fair enough. But 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 it's funny. She says you can't trust any. Well, she says uh, the girls Rosaline back in the back with her grandmother says that's a horrid story. I didn't like it at all. And grandmother says you can't trust anyone. A priest, least of all. He isn't called father for nothing. <laughs> What's with these lines? I,
1: I know. I didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> he's claiming
0: to be pure and um, and uh, sure, chaste, sure. but actually he's he's out having sex and fathering children, I think is what, what she's saying. I guess. But yeah, at this point, a, mother, a grandmother has finished the red shawl and uh, she puts it on this girl and it's a striking contrast with the rest of the scenery, which is pretty drab and, and gray. And uh-huh. this is when now she's ready to meet the boy and go out on this initial experimentation with him out in the woods by herself, which is interesting the way that the men in her family and around her approach this. Her mom is full of, you know, be careful, it's dangerous, don't stray from the path, be careful what he might do. And her dad is almost like, yeah, it's cool. Less concerned, really.
1: Yeah, boys will be boys.
0: The boy's dad, as they're running off, shouts after him, that's my boy! (laughs) <laughs> as the grandma shouts out after him, you know, be careful, don't stray from the path. It's really an interesting contrast brought to light there of of the way that even these adult men and women treat their their kids when they're going through this period, I think.
1: Yeah. I, yeah, so they so they they walk and he immediately kind of puts the move on her. It's not aggressive in a a, a bad way. I mean, he seems sweet, and he seems smitten with her, and, and he wants to kiss her. And she runs away initially, but uh, eventually he kind of teases her and says, what, are you scared? And she's like, no, I'm not scared. So they kiss, and um, she runs, and he chases. And then she climbs a tree, and he passes underneath it but doesn't see her. And then she finds, like, a heron's nest, some big bird up in the tree. And in the nest... The heron flies off and there's this, uh, this big wide shot of her this little tiny red figure up in this super tall tree against like a, a matte painting it looks totally fake but it's still kind of cool looking mm-hmm. she finds in this nest a looking glass and three eggs and then the eggs hatch and they have ceramic baby jesus's in them yes.
0: what? baby dolls i don't know but were they jesus i thought they were just dolls.
1: i don't know i mean they they looked like a baby jesus from a manger yeah scene, yeah they did but they did. but, but they could have just as easily just been any generic infant. True.
0: <laughs> it's weird. It gets very surreal.
1: I mean, there's no... <laughs> I, well, right. Because <laughs> then the boy finds a slaughtered cow with its calf, like, hanging around near the corpse, which I thought was sad and gross. And then Rosalind, on her way back into town, walks right past a wolf, and the boy comes back without her and a fight breaks out because they think that he's done something to her, but then she... Shows back up and she shows her mom the ceramic baby and it sheds a tear.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, what? I don't, I honestly, at first I thought, is are they trying to say she's pregnant now or something? Uh, yeah, I wasn't sure what to make of that either. I'm still not sure what to make of that. But it, I'm not either. I mean, <laughs> there's no question that as the director and production di- designer both said that Salvador Dali was one of their
1: inspirations for the design yeah. of this
0: movie. There's a lot of serene. And I can see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not
1: sure. And so the men of the town set up a hunt and they set a trap for the wolf and they dig a, a pit and then they put a duck on top of it as bait and... This was one of the times they used a real wolf, and the wolf approached the duck, but the duck quacked at it, and it got scared and ran away, so they had to reshoot it the next day (laughs) with a different wolf. I thought that was hilarious that the duck scared the wolf away. (laughs) Right. Um, But in the movie, they actually do capture the wolf, and they kill it, and the dad cuts off a paw, I guess, as a souvenir. I don't know. Um, But then the paw turns into a human hand. Um, and the rest of the body turned back uh, human, too. So he throws the hand in the fire. While the men are out hunting, Rosalind and her mom are just hanging out at home. And Rosalind's like, well, I'll tell you a story. And that's when she tells this weird aristocratic story. Yeah. Uh, this, was, yeah this was the
0: most bizarre, I think, of them all, honestly.
1: I feel like I've seen this or something like it before. I feel like I've seen another werewolf movie in this time period where it's like uh, English powdered-faced, powdered wig aristocrats turning into werewolves. I don't know. Maybe it's this. Maybe I've seen this. Anyway, tell them what happens.
0: Well, uh, they're just at this wedding banquet that's in a tent on the grounds, as I said earlier, of the actual house that Rosalie is sleeping in, but obviously in previous time. And uh, they're all chatting and eating, and the 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 wedding couple is there. And uh, a woman comes walking in from outside, and she... She's not as noble as they are, I suppose. She looks haggard, and she's young, and she's pregnant. And she parades in front of them and grabs an apple and spits it out at the groom and starts lecturing them and basically says, "'So, I wasn't good enough for you?' "'I was. "'Once upon a time, don't you remember? "'Even the wolves in the forest are more decent.'" and she's her anger is so fierce she cracks a mirror just by looking at it and and it seems to cast a spell over everyone or maybe it uh-huh. just causes them to transform into their true selves i'm not sure but uh yeah everyone starts transforming into wolves while none of the waitstaff seems surprised at all
1: <laughs> no they actually seem pleased yeah and uh like these people are such jerks they've they're getting what is coming to Yeah,
0: you. I think you're right. And then when everyone leaves, they pop corks and toast to it. So, uh-huh. and the same woman is seen rocking a baby high in a tree. Which was cute. Another nursery rhyme nod, I suppose. Well,
1: it, yeah, and it said that she forced the wolves then to serenade her every night or something uh-huh. like that. Um, but yeah, it's a woman scorned, you know, taking, exacting her revenge. I actually really liked this scene. I thought the transformation was great. And I, oh, loved, I loved seeing those dogs jump over the table in clothes Um, Some of them like jumping out of the clothes, some of them still in the clothes and just causing havoc uh, at that fancy dinner party. It's shot so well. It looks really good. Yeah, it really does Mm -hmm. look good. That leads us then, finally, it gets us to the Little Red Riding Hood story. Oh, yeah, but then there's... <laughs> so there's the Little Red Riding Hood story, and then there's a story within that one, too. Yeah. <laughs> but this gets us this gets us to the story of Little Red Riding Hood. We know what's going to happen. She packs up a bag of goodies for Grandma. She's going to, into the woods alone. Mom warns her not to stray off the path. Uh, her little amorous boy offers to go with her and protect her, but she assures him that she can take care of herself. And she uh, goes out in the woods, and she immediately bumps into what looks like a handsome aristocrat, um, very well-dressed, seemingly wealthy. Seemingly
0: from that story we just talked about, honestly. I think there's a bit of a nod to that. Maybe. class of people or something, yeah.
1: But he's got a unibrow. Yeah. So she should know better, and maybe she does. I think that that's kind of what the movie is suggesting, Mm -hmm. is I think that she kind of knows that he's a wolf. But... Again, it's about burgeoning sexuality and curiosity, and and she is curious. And so he says, let's go have a picnic. And so they do, and he's very flirtatious, and she's very flirtatious back. Um, I mean, I think she basically outright tells him that she's attracted to him yeah, um, and says that all of the other, all of the boys in the village are so common or, or something like that. And she's, she's enamored with him and they are very flirtatious. He shows her, he has a compass and then he grabs her and throws her to the ground in a playful, but physically aggressive way. Mm-hmm. If she were not into it, Uh, It might be a little much, you know, she could feel threatened, but she is into it. And they're playful down there. He's kind of on top of her a little bit. He says, let's have a wager. Uh, I bet I can beat you to Granny's house. And she says, can I have the compass if I win? And he says, yeah. And she says, well, what if I lose? And does he say that she has to give him a kiss? Yep,
0: that's right. And until then, he gives her, her his hat as a token of his goodwill until they meet again.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. So th- they go, they they part ways, and he does arrive at Granny's house first. And he knocks on the door, and she says, who is it? And he says, a friend. <laughs> and she says, okay, well, come on in then. And he comes in, and she immediately knows yeah. that he's a werewolf. And so they have a short fight, and then he yeah. knocks her head off. Well,
0: he says to her, she says to him, what have you done with my daughter? And he says nothing she didn't want, which is right, pretty true, actually. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And then, yeah, they have this long fight, like you said, and he,
1: he burns it's her. It's not really long. It uh, doesn't go on very long.
0: She burns his hand with a poker. Yeah, yeah.
1: she burns his hand with a poker, uh, and, you know, she does put up a fight, but eventually yeah. he just, not, you know, with his hand, knocks her head off, and it shatters against the fireplace as though it had been made of ceramic yeah, uh, or, or porcelain or something. And there's never a mention of that again. Like, <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs>
1: okay, was she? I don't get it, but whatever. Um, she's gone now. And Rosaline arrives and she comes in and he's not fully wolfed out. I feel like he has the wolf eyes at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. And she does the, oh, what? big eyes you have the better to see you with and it's it's playful and it's seductive and eventually he takes off his shirt uh-huh. I think. <laughs> and she's like what big arms you have and he's like the better to <laughs> hug you with and then eventually he says what big teeth you have and she he says the better to eat you with in a very like you said lascivious seductive kind of way you know it's it's definitely um innuendo there
0: it's interesting too because i expect her to be afraid but she doesn't come across as afraid she comes across as cautious but like you said you can she still even though he killed her granny (laughs) we we i guess we forget about that for a moment i mean she knows it's happened because she sees granny's hair in the fire and Uh she says your kind can't stomach hair can you even if the wolf worst wolves are hairy on the inside and and he takes off her shawl and he tells her and to, makes
1: her burn it I thought that was pretty symbolic you know we're leaving childhood behind young lady
0: yeah right and he asks her are you, aren't you afraid and she just says it wouldn't do me much good to be afraid now would it uh-huh. And, uh huh. And yeah, you, there's a little bit of byplay, but um, eventually she goes to the window and she seems sympathetic toward the wolves that are howling outside. She says something like, Oh, those poor creatures.
1: They almost kiss at some point mm-hmm. before she goes to the window, they come very close to kissing. And in the original script, they did kiss, but because this actress was only 12, they didn't think that that would be appropriate. Thank God. Yeah, right. <laughs> but that said, it's still very seductive and and sexy. <sighs> Being that she is 12, burgeoning on inappropriate um because it is very seductive and you you see this done with vampires all the time there's always this seductive nature of
0: vampires yeah
1: i don't know that i've ever seen it done with werewolves but it plays out very much the same way and it makes sense there's something sexy and erotic about danger (sighs) well i don't know
0: even as a half-wolfed out guy he's a pretty good looking guy i mean right Right. This is a sexy scene, but she still, there's twice she tries to kill him. I mean, she whips out her knife, uh, a knife at one point, which he knocks out. And uh, as she turns away from the window, she's got a gun out uh, and it's trained on him. And she asks him, Are you only a man when you dress like one? Like Granny says. He kind of pushes the gun aside and mentions to her, You know, you did, we did have this bet. And she's like, Well, perhaps you did win your bet. You are a gentleman. But they say the Prince of Darkness is a fine gentleman. Anyway, he he ends up transforming uh, after... Well, she shoots him. She shoots him, yeah.
1: They almost kiss. They come very close, but then she shoots him in the arm, and that's when he transforms. And mm-hmm. this is where you get the wolf snout coming out of his mouth and his spine bursts. And so like, well, his back along the spine bursts. And then he's a wolf and she apologizes to him and she goes over to him and he's just sitting there whimpering because he's wounded. And she pets him and comforts him, yeah. <laughs> which was very, I didn't see that coming uh, at all. And then she tells him a story, which Is really brief, but it's about a she-wolf that came out of the Underworld up into their village. It said she didn't mean anybody any harm, but somebody meant her harm, and somebody shoots her. And uh, so she takes, I don't know, shelter in the cemetery right outside the church, and the minister or priest comes out, and she turns into a mute, wild woman. But the priest takes pity on her, and then she runs naked through the forest back to the village and, like, I guess returns to the world below through the well. It's a it's a strange story, and I wasn't – it's mm. the first time we get a female werewolf, and yeah. I think that there was supposed to be – you know, the the female werewolf meant n- no one any harm but was wounded by a man anyway. I mean there's got to be some mm-hmm. – something there. It's really brief and she just tells it to comfort him. When she's done with her story and we come back to them, the townspeople are approaching the cabin. Is that right? Yep,
0: that's right. They're looking for Rosaline, and a wolf leaps out of the window, which startles the mother, and when she enters, she sees another wolf inside, but this wolf has Rosaline's cross around its neck, and her husband bursts in to shoot it, and she says, no, 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 don't shoot it, and just, you know, knocks the gun away just in time, screams out the window for nobody to shoot this wolf, as it, too, leaps out the window and runs off, I think presumably to join the other wolf in the woods.
1: Yeah. I think she's going to join their pack.
0: And at this point, it, there's a whole pack. It's running fast through the woods, back first, past the toys, and then, uh, like you said, it jumps into modern day. Sort of, it comes into the big mansion, but it's covered in leaves and cobwebs. Like uh, not like we saw it, you know, earlier in the framing story.
1: It's like the worlds collide. Yeah, like the, like like the, the... fantasy of the forest is now infesting. The house.
0: Mm-hmm. And the wolves come crashing into her room where she's sleeping into the window, and she wakes up screaming, and the dolls and glass crash to the floor. I-, I think what this means is basically like her childhood is gone, you know, her childhood is destroyed. um And she's kind of come into this era of womanhood, I suppose, which is complicated. And, you know, the more we talk about it, the more I sort of feel like. The, the story here is that these women well-equipped this girl for what she had to face. Like She ended up knowing the dangers that she would have to face, and she did a pretty good job of doing it. And she has her own agency to say, I can deal with this, or I cannot let it get the best of me i I go back to this line that we didn't that we didn't talk about earlier but i think it's really important Uh when you said Rosalind asks her mom about her father and asks if her father ever hurts her and she says no she compares his grunting to the beast you know that her grandmother was warning her about and her mother says to her if there's a beast in men it meets its match in women too Which is a very empowering statement. And her grandmother has been empowering her, you know, throughout this by telling these stories and giving her knowledge. Uh, And her earlier experience with the boy kind of empowers her so that by the time she meets this danger, she's ready for it and she kind of wants it. But she's also able to take control and make decisions for herself and not let the wolf get the better of her.
1: Well, that, I just think that it's cool that, in the end, she embraces her carnal nature. Mm-hmm. Like Exactly. Like, <laughs> she she doesn't fear it. She embraces it. Uh...
0: And maybe that's what the last little story about the Wolf Girl is all about. You know, it's, it's, it's trying to tell us maybe that, you know, it's not just men. We're not talking about only men have this carnal nature, but women. Women have it, too. Girls have it, too.
1: It's interesting. It's an interesting movie. I don't know. I was just kind of scratching my head throughout, like... Who is this for like <laughs> <laughs> it's not for because kids. It, it, That's it, it's it's sure. no it's certainly not for kids, but it doesn't it's not typical. It, it doesn't fit nicely into any box
0: commercial yeah. right, which is why I liked it so much.
1: Well, it is it's it's definitely unique uh, and original um, and and well made and and some good performances. Uh, Really, the the star of the show is the young woman who plays uh, Rosaline. Her name is Sarah Patterson. And again, they were initially planning to cast somebody older, but the director was so enamored with uh, this young woman. And she does a good job, and she's very beautiful.
0: She does, and and, uh, apparently she was getting offers after this. She did one other movie and then just decided she didn't want to act. Nobody really knows why she... um why she d- decided but she just got a family and kids and was like no I'm, I'm done so that, well, that's good for her. yeah she she was in a canon movie tales Snow White uh, in 1987 which I went and looked that up and it looked kind of interesting actually <laughs> uh,
1: I, I always like David Warner Oh yeah. he doesn't have a whole lot to do in this movie but he just has a presence about him that I really enjoy mm-hmm. I was going to say also uh, I read somewhere that um the sets were very reminiscent of the hammer films. And I hadn't really thought about that, but they very much are. They've got kind of that old Hollywood horror
0: uh, feel to
1: them, which is charming. uh, And I appreciated that, but you know, we're here mostly to talk about Angela Lansbury and she was really fun in this movie. Uh, She was fascinated from the time she was a little girl with cinema and television and um during difficult times in her life um like when they initially had to move to america to you know uh escape the blitz that was going on in uh london that was a, a time of struggle for her family and she threw herself into um, movies she would go to the movies as often as she could and she comforted herself by trying to create characters or imitate characters that she would see in the movies and I think that she's just one of those people that it was just within her you know mm. acting performing were just within her nature at the same time she was very down to earth she was married more than once, uh, had a family, was very focused on her family. In fact, in the 70s, um, her kids, who were young adults at that time, got into counterculture and started using mind-altering drugs, and her daughter got involved with the Manson family.
0: That's crazy.
1: And that troubled her so much that she uprooted her entire family and her career and moved them all to Ireland, which...
0: Thank God she did
1: she right because her children were fine uh her her son battled addiction but uh got himself clean and his and and the daughter you know cut ties thank god uh mm. with those people and she almost certainly saved their lives uh, and and she just liked you know she liked Housekeeping. She, she found pleasure in, in, you know, some of just the simple things in life. And, um, she was a gay icon and, uh, she was liberal and, you know, was very vocal in her support of, of gay rights and, and the gay community, um, which is always appreciated by that community. And, uh, she just, just seemed like a, a very cool, talented, humble, gracious lady and a bright star. You know, again, she just was one of those people that brings a smile to your face. She's just like yeah. I mean, I I'm 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 getting really heavy handed with it, but honestly, like she's just like a ray of sunshine in what can sometimes be in a dark and ugly world. Sometimes.
0: Mm-hmm you think of like betty white you know very similar right we yes. said similar uh-huh. things about her not nobody nobody didn't like her <laughs> you know and every time you see her pop up somewhere you just felt warm <laughs> and fuzzy right. she just had that about her and the characters that she played so and seemed to have followed that through in real life as well you know it's just yeah. just amazing and it's great to to have people like that that we can look up to agreed and sad that they're gone well thank you so much for listening to our tribute episode if you enjoyed it please share it with a friend you can find us online anywhere you find podcasts just search for two guys in a chainsaw podcast also please consider supporting us on patreon we have a patreon page at patreon.com slash chainsaw podcast you get a lot of uh, regular goodies from us there as well as the unedited versions of our phone calls until next time i'm todd and i'm craig with two guys in a chainsaw